Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Special episode, South Dublin Schools and Special Classes. Hello and you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis. I want you to picture the scene. You're after having the worst few months at work, okay? And this might not be too hard to imagine if you're listening to this at this time of the recording as we're just uh, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Anyway, your staff have been really, really, really stressed. Some have actually been ill And you're just about to close the door of your building, ready to maybe take a week off, maybe two weeks off if you're lucky, when an email arrives just uh, in your inbox stating that you're going to be receiving a legal letter giving you 14 days to respond. And that's basically what the principals of many schools in South Dublin experienced on June the 30th, when the Department of Education decided to tell them that they were now compelling them to open up special classes for children with autism in September, this September, within eight weeks, roughly eight weeks. So in this special episode, I'm going to be looking at South Dublin and what I can only call the curious incidents of the planning section of the Department of Education. About a year ago, the Department of Education wrote to a load of schools in the Dublin 15 area, which has a population of about 15,000 people, in North Dublin, trying to compel them to open up special classes for children with autism. Now, this was because the planning section of the Department of Education, which um, has charged the NCSE, which is the National Council for Special Education, and they hadn't managed to organise the opening of special classes where there was the need. Now, this situation was in the heartland of the then Taoiseach Leo Radcar's constituency, so it became a bit of a, a crisis for him, a political football, let's say, um, to use a, a cliche. Somehow, anyway, deals were done, and special classes uh, got opened in, in certain areas and an entire special school, I believe, uh, was also opened uh, to accommodate the needs that had arisen. And I suppose the reason I'm telling you this is because lessons were to be learned and nothing like this would ever happen again. But let's go back a few more years. And a few years ago, some of you might remember um, the front page of the New York Times. Um, and <laughs> it carried a story of a Dublin family that weren't able to enrol their junior infant son into any school in their locality. Not one school would enrol their child. Now, that child's crime was that his parents, now brace yourself for this. Yeah, they weren't raising him with a religion. Oh, yeah. And every single school in his locality were under denominational patronage. And thus, because of that, whether they wanted to or not enrol the child, they had to legally enrol children from their own faith background, no matter where they lived. So they might not be in the same catchment areas and maybe not in the same locality before offering places to someone who would have no religion or in other people's cases, a different religion. 
Now this story had been rumbling in Ireland for over a year and the term baptism barrier had been well established and coined which meant that children that weren't baptised wouldn't get places in local schools. And at the very very last minute by the way a school building happened to be found in the area and a new school was born and this area interestingly enough was South Dublin. I'm telling you both of these stories because basically despite the promises of lessons being learned and the knowledge of crises of school places in South Dublin it kind of it's basically transpired that children with autism have ended this school year with no guarantee of a school place in a special class for 2020 to 2021. Now this hasn't come out of the blue by the way, I mean, as, as I'm sure you've gathered and I'm sure you know, South Dublin's population has, con- has been continually growing for years and the population of children with additional needs has been growing too. And this is a problem that everyone knew about. Everyone knew about this. So why would the Department of Education wait until the very last day of the school year to try and force schools to open special classes with eight weeks notice? Why? Are the schools in South Dublin simply refusing to open these classes as well? I mean, that's a question we have to ask too. Well, if you were to read everything in the media and on social media in particular, it's because these schools are terrible, terrible places run by terrible, terrible people who should, and I quote from at least a dozen sources, they should be ashamed of themselves. And this vitriol isn't only from families with children with additional needs. This feedback actually is given by fellow teachers. An anonymous post on the Voice for Teachers Facebook page asked the question of how a school could refuse to open a special class if they were compelled by the NCSC. What followed from this question, um, and the question was worded basically, how can a school refuse to open a special class if they're compelled by the NCSC, was over 200 comments with huge numbers of them simply writing things like shame on you and other such venom and disdain. Yes, why didn't these awful, terrible, shocking, disgusting, shameful, I'm just quoting the words that were used here, schools not just agree to open the special classes? I mean, I mean, really, it's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, once the principal and the board say yes, I mean, that's all they have to do. What would happen, obviously, is the Department of Education would have sent, a, would just send in a, a group of people into these schools and they go into these spare rooms. You know, that's that's fine. Like, they get these people. Of course, the department is going to get these people. So what they do then is the ones that were libraries, the spare rooms that were being used as libraries, sure, what this group of people do, they'll just take down all the books from the shelves. They'll store them somewhere. We don't worry where that somewhere is. That's, you know, that's just details. Now, then they could unscrew all the shelving out of the walls of the library and then they're going to store those shelves you know they can stick them somewhere else unspecified and now um, they'd of course fill in all the holes in the walls uh, because obviously if you're screwing things and drilling things into walls and taking out the plugs um, they'll have the holes so they have to fill out in those holes and then they're going to have to repaint the walls because filler doesn't come in the exact same shade of the walls I don't think as far as I know unless they were very very lucky um, so that's grand that'll be the libraries but the ones that were computer rooms no problem again sure someone will remove all the computers they'll put them in the backs of everyone's classrooms making sure that that there's uh, available network points there and I mean there will won't there yeah they're, they're, that, that, who knows sure maybe they will and now there's probably way too many pot- sockets in that room now so they're probably gonna have to remove all those sockets although they might just cover them up and um, that'd be fine and then sure someone could you know plumb an owl sink into the room there too while they're at there and then they can dismantle all the workstations that the computers were sitting on now they're fairly heavy um 
but that's grand and they can be stored why I guess somewhere yeah somewhere that'll do actually you know let's think about the ones there's a lot of the schools because I was reading through the document of why the schools were sort of reluctant to do things a lot of them were being used for after school care or for a preschool well I mean according to um well according to my sources they're the worst type of evil I mean my goodness I suppose what the department will probably do is you know they'll they, they might send you know their, their most careless people to help dismantle those rooms I'd say and, and clear out uh, the various uh, materials that preschools have to have uh, in their rooms such as cooking facilities such as um, you know long, uh, different types of uh, furniture things stuck to the walls uh, TVs all those kind of things whatever um, they, they, they'll just get them down no problem and the ones that have the audacity to have halls well the less said about them I'd say the better now the ones that have prefabs that are so old that they're too dangerous to allow mainstream classes in through the day well the Department of Education do you know what they're going to do they're going to come in they're going to dry line them they're going to ensure that they have adequate light and heat in them and if they have those very very you know those very expensive storage heaters uh, that old buildings used to have they'll replace them too and now then all these rooms of course are going to need a bit of furniture sure they can go on the old internet there and buy specialised workstations with flexible height because we don't know how old the children are going to be or what height they're going to be. And sure, they're only €500 Euro a pop from the cheapest company I could find on the internet. And, uh, and sure, while they're on the internet, they can stick up an ad for a teacher and two SNAs for the classroom. And sure, that ad only has to be up for three weeks, uh, which brings us into the... Into the well, I'm recording this in the middle of July, so that's around the start of August, roughly. And then sure, they'll easily find someone to do the interviews. Probably on Zoom because of COVID and then they'll have to do the whole thing uh, again for the ads and all that sort of stuff for the SNAs as well and sure who doesn't love interviewing sure why would you why wouldn't you do it twice and then of course who cares that South Dublin has the highest rates of rents in the country and it's next to impossible to find the teachers anyway these days and of course the teacher they'll get will be fully trained probably very well experienced with working with children with autism especially in rooms that aren't, uh, aren't actually designed for children with autism and in fact you know, we can we can't forget that they're going to magic up this multi sensory room that to go with their our classroom because you can't just have your um, special class for children with autism. You need these other rooms like a multi sensory room. Um, and sure, it doesn't exist, but sure, we'll order all the equipment and they'll order all the equipment and get it all installed in this room that doesn't exist. And then most of this equipment anyway comes from the UK. And there's a bit of a delay, a few weeks maybe, maybe six seven weeks before you know specialized equipment, big specialized equipment might come from orders. So that might not come until the middle of September maybe 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 you know if they're lucky at the end of August um, and anyway we'll install those into the magical room that doesn't exist and when it does arrive they'll realise uh, that they actually a magic room doesn't actually exist so they'll just shrug their shoulders and say ah sure you'll be grand without a sensory room and all the while do you know what they'll do as well on top of that they'll look after an enrolment policy to ensure that the children who are getting placed in these schools don't fall foul of that enrolment policy they'll have to make sure of course that their policies are are okay and uh, work very well with their with their normal admissions policy you know with regards to catchment areas gender for the single sex schools religious discrimination minority religion schools and then they'll make sure that they'll set a date for the enrolment and a closing date and then they'll get through all the app then they'll go through all of the applications 
admissions that will come in to ensure that they prioritise according to the new admissions policy that they'll set up and then they'll offer the places making sure to post out the enrolment forms and ring the families to remind them to fill out the, uh, uh, the, the enrolment forms and to make sure they're definitely coming to the school and then one of, and then they'll be there on the phone when somebody rings at the last minute to say they've got a place actually in another school that's a little bit more local and then they'll go back to the list and try and fill that place. They'll do all this for you the Department of Education. They're wonderful people and of course they'll also make sure that once the children are enrolled they'll have every single bit of assistive technology ordered, every single uh, bit of sensory materials ordered for them and have them ready and they'll also make sure to order um, what else do they do? They'll have all the specialised uh, materials for the classroom to access the curriculum. That's what the Department of Education will do that and you know what they'll do this right now they'll do this because right now principals have nothing better to be doing except you know at the moment you know they're not going to leave it to the principal are they because you know principals at the moment are, have nothing to do except completely redesign the entire structure of their school because of COVID-19 so yeah you know that's what needs to be done and do you know what unsurprisingly the Department of Education will do none of those things do you know who's going to be asked? Do you know who's going to be doing any of those things? Who'll be expected to do one of those, any of those things? Because everybody else is on holidays, um, including the principal, uh, apparently. Um, and yeah, the principal will be expected to do all of these things. And probably, um, if they're lucky, a caretaker if they have one. So we know exactly what the NCSE and the Department of Education are going to do if any of these schools agree to set up a special class in their school with now six weeks to go. They'll basically send a template letter to the school and all the work will basically be left to the school leader and maybe a very unhappy caretaker. And the Minister for Education will go on the telly, will go on the radio telling everybody how great she is getting, the, getting these schools opened. And you know what? There will, be, there will actually be schools that will feel so guilty about this that they'll even do it, even if it means doing all of those jobs above. Now, because they don't, you know, and this, and, and that's, it's not like they don't feel bad enough already. Now, I'm not saying all schools are like this. Like, I, I mean, before I continue, I do realise there are some schools in South Dublin that are not, haven't been acting um, like an inclusive school. I've read the 105 page uh, report uh, of the response from the schools and the majority of the schools are very willing to open special classes. There are some and you can see very clearly that they are not willing to open special classes for no good reason. So, I mean, before I can carry on, I'm speaking about the majority of schools in South Dublin and these are ones that are willing to do uh, to open special classes for children with autism because they they tr they are trying they they want to try their very best uh, for all children in their areas what what school wouldn't want all of their children to be in in their local school i i I, I, I gather and I know that some people, some schools are like this. It's not something just to do with South Dublin. There's every area in the country has, has something similar. But the vast majority of schools, um, and actually I can put a figure on it uh, later because I've done the research of this particular one, are willing to open these special classes, but can't for a variety of reasons. And I'll go into those in a while. But there will be some now who will actually feel so guilty um, that they will actually go into their schools from now and do all this uh, work that I listed there um, on their own. They'll probably pull in family members, um, not not like family members of, 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 of people, their own family members. Um, now, as I said, I looked through the data and I'm going to go through it in a minute just to explain where, where things are at because I want, I want to make sure, and this is the thing that I was really uh, 
that I'm, I'm kind of became vexed about this situation now. Um, I, I have nothing to do with South Dublin anymore, I, I will admit. I am, as you can probably tell from my accent, I was uh, raised in Dublin 6. Um, I went to school in Dublin 6. Uh, but I am now um, what some people call a Dulce, a uh, Dublin person living in the country. Um, I'm not sure if Dulce is allowed anyway. Is that a, is that a, a word that's uh, supposed to be... Uh, uh, have negative connotations. I don't know. I, I like it. I, I don't mind being called that. But anyway, um, I digress. The trouble, you see, with all of this is that the reason why these schools have refused to open these classes, the majority now, I have to say the majority of these schools, is because they don't actually have the space or the rooms to do it properly. And that's, that's the simple thing. They also know, and this is the other bit, those of them who do have spare rooms, they also know that the minute they say yes to opening in a room, they will have basically signed up to a situation where they will be completely unsupported. They will never receive proper accommodation for the children and they will be left to cope in unsuitable rooms for as long as the room doesn't actually fall apart. Um, and I mean that actually literally. I, I hate the word literally um, because it's a, it becomes a meaningless word. But in this case, unless the room is leaking or f the walls are falling down, they will be left in that room. They're going to they will eventually have to turn um, one of their learning support rooms into a sensory room because you can't not have some sort of sensory room or occupational therapy room. So this, and the support that would have been offered in this room will uh, be diverted to a corner in a corridor or the hall they used to have, or the library they used to have, or the computer room they used to have, or whatever, will be gone forever. And because the Department of Education and the NCSE don't actually care about the children. They actually don't care about these children that need a school place. If they did, we wouldn't have this problem. They care about looking good. That's all they care about. And I, and I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. They want bums on seats and they don't care if those seats are made of cardboard. They don't care as long as they can say that problem has gone away from our from, from our door. Um, and it doesn't matter who has a problem. And when I say a problem, I'm not talking about the children. The children are not a problem. I have two wonderful special classes in my school and um, I'm I'm and, and I'm very lucky that they are in appropriately built uh, classrooms with um, a learn, uh, with support rooms. Um, what I'm saying is the Department of Education have a problem that there isn't enough school places and that's the problem they're trying to get rid of. I'm not sure why, but the Department of Education have published, um, for some reason, they've published all the school's responses to their their legal letter, which compelled them, asking, compelling them uh, to... Um, to open special classes. I don't, I don't, I don't, I actually don't see a reason for doing that. Um, but they did. And I've read them all and almost every single one made the point that they'd be happy to open classes. I've said this already. Um, but their main reason for not doing so is just simply not having the appropriate space in their school. And I need to just point out again that this is the second such scandal of poor government planning in this area and in the last decade. It isn't long ago that there were families of minority and no faiths that could not get a school place in any primary school in Dublin 6, Dublin 6W or Dublin 12, in that area, generally South Dublin, uh, due to this thing called the baptism barrier. And the horrendous planning, again, by the Department of Education in their inability to plan for providing enough school places for children in the area. Now, I remember at that time, 
um, because I, I, I wouldn't, I was, I wasn't involved in the campaign as such, but I was very much aware of it on the on the fringes and uh, and tried to help out where I could. Um, not that I was of much help, but um, I remember at the time there were people on forums like Voice for Teachers and all those kind of things, actually blaming the parents for simply not baptizing their children so they could get a place because if they baptized the thing was if they baptized their kids it wasn't there was a shortage of school places there was a shortage of school places for children there was a shortage of school places in Dublin 6 but the the thing was that if uh, the schools had to prioritize children of di- of of the catholic faith even if they weren't in the in the catchment areas you had children from let's say a different postcode going to schools in Dublin 6 Dublin 6 W and so on and basically they got priority um, over children who weren't baptised. So basically they had no school place to go to. Um, so, but, but however, if, it's, it's all so complicated. I, I know it's sounding so complicated. If the parents in Dublin 6, Dublin 6, W and Dublin 12 did baptise their kids, they would get priority over children who were baptised outside of that area, if that makes sense. So all the, so the magic key to unlocking their problem in a way, was to baptise their kids. So basically go against your um, freedom of religious conscience there. Like, and just baptise your... You know, I, I was picturing, you know, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to even say it because it's just too insulting. Uh, but anyway, I, it was actually crazy. There were people basically saying that these parents were to blame. They should just baptise their kids. On more than one occasion, I heard comments such as how selfish these parents were making examples of their children. Yeah, I, I'm actually serious. That that sentence was said on more than one occasion. And people who call themselves teachers actually said to these parents that they were selfish for not baptising their children. And for God's sake, it's only a few prayers. Uh, again, quoting something from, uh, or possibly paraphrasing from before. Now, I, I suppose I, the reason I get angry about this um, is because I'm one of these terrible, selfish parents that decided not to baptise my child. Why would someone like me be so thoughtless and mean-spirited not to bring my infant child to a Catholic school and allow someone that represents nothing to me rub oil on his head and then make us make promises that we've no intention of keeping just to get him into a local primary school that's state-funded? I would argue the reason is because I don't believe in that religion's dogma. I don't, you know, I wasn't even raised in it. You know, it's not, and it's not something that's part of my life outside of my job anyway. You know, there is never, ever, ever a time where I think religion can do anything for me at all. Not a thing. And and that's not a criticism of religion. I don't care what people do. I, But I just wouldn't do it either. I wouldn't actually get him baptised because I don't like telling lies. I, 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 some people think you don't have morals if you don't have religion. But I mean, anyway, I, I don't actually like telling lies. It hurt, I, I find it very difficult to do that. I don't like it. And I, I just couldn't do it. But if I lived in South Dublin at that time, I would be called absolutely 100% a selfish person and I wasn't thinking of my child's needs and I was just thinking about myself. It was nothing to do with the fact that there was a no need for primary schools with no denominational control for years in the, in that area and the Department of Education just didn't bother doing anything about it. And in the end, with a day or two before a massive court case was about to be taken against the Department of Education, somehow, and the Department of Education would have lost that case by the way, an empty school was found and a new school opened in time. Now, I'm telling you this because here we are again in South Dublin, except this time the government have been caught sleeping at the wheel in terms of school places in the same area, except this time it's a different cohort of children. And again, rather than being angry at the government for their inaction, we have people 
here, turning on schools, calling them names and trying to make them ashamed of themselves. Now, if we're going to be laying the blame and getting angry at anyone, it needs to be targeted at the right places and the right places are the doors of the Department of Education and the NCSE. Now, for me, the NCSE need to shoulder a huge amount of the blame here. And strangely enough, I haven't heard a peep from them. They are very, they're lying nice and low here. And they have been given considerable power from the Department of Education to compel schools to open special classes. And on both occasions where this has had to happen, last year in Fingal or Dublin 15, I think it was Carpenter's Town in uh, Dublin 15, and this year in South Dublin, they have failed to do that in a timely manner. They've compelled them, this time, with eight weeks. There is no excuse to compel a school to open a special class for children with autism with eight weeks notice. The NCSC knew these places would be needed over a year ago. And I, I know this because, well, I mean, I knew it anyway, but I thought just to be sure, what I do is I do a short Google search just to check whether this was true. And as soon as I, I, what I did was I found a dull question straight away from Thomas Byrne, who was then the spokesperson for education for Fianna Foyle, Consequently, who didn't get the job of the Minister for Education for some reason um, when Fianna Foyle uh, decided, uh, sorry, came into power. Now, it's too early to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because he didn't, I don't think Thomas Byrne quoted himself in any glory uh, during the school buildings closure there during COVID-19. But anyway, I digress. Anyway, last September, that's 2019, he stated that the National Council for Special Education has already informed the Minister for Education and Skills that parents in South Dublin and Cork are having trouble securing school places for their children. Now, that was the time for the powers to be used. Compel the schools then. You're saying you're getting, your, your, you are opening schools. There's no, there's no, um, it's not June the 30th. What happened between now, uh, between then and June 30th? I know COVID-19 happened. That's fair enough. But it didn't stop schools from working. You know, this is the thing. Schools have been open all the way through. And I don't think it's acceptable. Um, and I also noted, just, just before I go on, I know Cork in that sentence, by the way. I, I, I did mention uh, it. Are we going to have the same problem there? I mean, from what I'm gathering, I think we're going to have the same problem there. Anyway. Whoever is to blame, and it is most definitely the NCSE and the Department of Education, if there are schools that won't open, and there are some schools that are reluctant to open, instead of turning on them, I mean, this is what I think. Like, schools aren't going to open. Uh, schools, like, people suspect, some people might suspect that some of these schools won't open because they're too snobby. You know, say South Dublin, people just think of the word snobby. I, I get it. I mean, like I'm from there. Um, I, I, you know, despite not being from a for, uh, from a snobby background, uh, I, I, I get that that people think, oh, Dublin Six, uh, or Dublin Six W or whatever, uh, is going to be. Um, uh, this is just pure snobbery. But I mean, autism doesn't doesn't have class. You know, it. You know, aut like it's 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 a silly argument. But anyway, I I mean, it's maybe it's not a silly argument. But at the same time, it's not the only argument. Uh, what I'm saying, some schools are going to be snobby. Maybe they're connected to some snobby private school and they want to keep their grades up. I don't know. I don't. I do, I, I. Do you know what? I'm softening to the idea of it. Maybe there's a bit of snobbery in there. <laughs> maybe I'm just defensive because I'm from that area and I don't like uh, it being referred to as snobby. Uh, but anyway. That could be a reason, but the real, the other reasons could be, it could be anything. Why is a school not going to open a special class for children with autism, given every variable? Let's say, take away all the variables of space, take all the variables of rooms and all that kind of stuff. Let's just the idea of opening up a special class for children with autism. And, you know, rather than just basically assuming that they're, um, that they're being mischievous or uncaring, 
I thought it might, you know, wouldn't it be better to find out why the schools aren't willing to open the schools and help them, help them, educate them. I mean, maybe they are fearful. Maybe they're they maybe they don't know enough and they're too scared to to take up to take the plunge as such. I mean, it's not you know. I mean, I'm sorry for if this is sounding um, unemotional, unemotive, or maybe it's 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 sounding. Um, insensitive I, I i i honestly not i'm i'm trying not i'm i'm not i'm not being insensitive here i'm trying to think of reasons why a school wouldn't want to help children whether they have autism or not um but especially if they have an additional need why would they not do everything they can to help and what better way to find out than going through all of those schools' responses to the Department of Education's legal letters to compel them to open the buildings. And you can tell a lot from reading those responses. And that's basically what I, was going, what I did. I read all the responses. And now it's only 105 pages of responses. Um, and I looked through every single one of them. And I wanted to find out what percentage of schools said they were actually willing to open special classes. Um, what were the reasons they couldn't? How many of them seemed actually believable? Because I'm not naive. Like, I get it. You know, I'm pretty sure there's a few of those schools that are not angels. I get it. I get it. I know that. Um, and then any other tidbits that I came across. Now, I'm going to try. I will have to try. I did try. And I, you know, not that I will try. I did try and grip my teeth because a lot of those schools basically claim to be fully inclusive primary schools. And I have to say, because I wouldn't be my podcast if I didn't say it, they are not fully inclusive primary schools because they are mainly and they are all more, more or less denominational schools and thus they cannot be fully inclusive. By being a denominational school, you are not inclusive. Now, anyway, um, I I have said it now. I made sure it didn't affect my judgment on them. Um, but uh, anyway, the, it, what I am going to assume if they think they're fully inclusive and maybe this is my bias showing here clearly they don't know what inclusive means um, so maybe that can be extended onto uh, so I would have looked at their thing and, and maybe read their, their submission a little more carefully because I think it's very important to understand what inclusion actually means it doesn't mean everybody coming to a place and behaving like everybody else um, as they might do with religion like if you're not Catholic and you go to a Catholic school inclusion to them means they've let you in the building but they have no way um, ensure that you're that you're um, you know that you, they basically treat you like a Catholic and that's that's what they seem as inclusion similarly if you allow a child with additional needs into your school it is non-inclusion if you expect them to uh um, to uh, work like someone without additional needs so uh, that's I mean that's all I'll say about the word inclusion um anyway uh, I read through all 105 pages in a lot of detail and I'm being perfectly honest um of all the schools in there there's actually only just one that hasn't allowed to stand on, to be honest with you. There's one. And I'm not going to name it because that's not fair because it's only one school. Um, but if you read through the replies, I think it'd be very easy um, to basically spot what school that is. They have a lot of rooms free that could very, very easily be turned uh, very easily into um, a complete, um, not just one class, they could have several classes. Anyway, 71% of the schools in the responses stated they would be more than happy to open a special class if they had the space or if they had appropriate accommodation. There was a few reasons uh, why September 2020 were, uh, uh, was, was going to be impossible. Some stated they're waiting for permanent accommodation, for example, and they said as soon as the permanent accommodation happened, they would be able to uh, open the special classes. However, they all stated that they are happy to open when the NCSE decides to talk to them. And that's a really, really important pattern that I noticed. When the NCSE decide to talk to them, 
almost all of the responses stated that the NCSE did not talk to the schools. And I'm not surprised by that because the NCSE don't talk to schools. Um, and I mean, I'm well, uh, I don't think I've gone through a podcast here without criti- without basically thinking saying that the NCSE is probably the worst organisation that I've ever come across and in terms of education. And they're, they, they, I, I, if I was to, if you had to blame anyone in this, um, in this whole thing, I think NCSE would be up there at the top. I think the Department of Education tries to run the whole of education. The NCSE have one job and that's to look after children uh, with additional needs and ensure that they have enough provision for them. And they don't do that anyway. They don't do it for children in mainstream uh, classes um, and they don't do it for children who are actually in special classes anyway. So why would we expect them uh, to be able to um, organise this? Anyway, in fact, the main theme of all the letters, going back to the letters, from what I could see was lack of consultation was mentioned in almost every single submission. Um, Lack of engagement. And then the other thing that came up all the time was the timing of the legal notice. And that came up time and time again. It seems that the letters and emails uh, that were sent back to the NCSE when they originally um, got in touch with schools um, were left unanswered by the NCSE. From what I can gather and from what I could see and what I could read, schools said they tried to engage with the NCSE because back then the NCSE, uh, from what I can see, the NCSE wrote to the, all these schools before that, before then to see if they would be willing. And uh, when they replied and tried to engage um, with the ones that did, the NCSE didn't reply. Um, basically, the whole thing seems to have been a complete mess caused by the NCSE. Um, lots of schools stated a lack of current support for additional needs in their schools as one of the reasons for not opening. Um, I've gone through that. Um, I've gone through this. And it, even though it wasn't the main reason why all schools didn't want to open uh, September, it did feature very heavily. It isn't a reason to not open uh, specific special classes for children with autism. But I mean, I just thought it was interesting in general that, you know, I suppose they might be thinking, well, if the NCSE aren't going to support our current um, cohort of children with additional needs how in how in the heck are they going to support children with even uh, higher needs uh, who would uh, not be in mainstream and be in a special class um, so it was just interesting um, it would be remiss of me though of course to mention that quite a lot of the schools um, also stated that they've some of the classrooms rented out as preschools which to be fair they're not entitled to do and I was surprised by the number that actually have. Um, it's 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 quite a, you know, I I actually did I didn't I didn't think that happened uh, as often as as it did. Uh, quite a lot of the schools have them rented out to preschools, and some of these arrangements are actually in place for decades. Um, one particular school, I think, for over for over thirty years. However, in defence of these schools, because I mean they're not entitled to do this. Um, however, there's nothing to stop you from doing this. The time to get rid of those spaces, because I mean, fair enough. If this, you know, you, you sh- if you have a space available, it should be turned into a into a classroom if that's needed. The time to get rid of those spaces was not June the thirtieth, when these places and arrangements and possibly contracts were already in place. Now, I think last September at a minimum would have been um, would have been the right time to compel these schools. Um, I would imagine, you know, if you don't compel a school to um you know because they've written to lots and lots of schools and you're probably if you were one of those schools you probably were quite happy having your preschool and thinking well a school up the road will probably open it and i can carry on with my preschool here 
But if you were compelled, if you had got that letter on September 30th instead of June the 30th and told you have to close your preschool, we are opening a special class in that building, there would be time for your, this preschool to maybe get a prefab on your site or if that wasn't available, find a different building. But basically they would have had enough notice to leave. Now, I've experienced this. Um, we've we faced in my school we've rented out two of our rooms two of our classrooms that were empty because we're a growing school we're a school that opens in 2008 we're filling the, the rooms but we've rented out two of our rooms for a number of years to a preschool but we can't fit them in anymore because we've grown into this into the school building um, and our, our school population basically has grown now we've known about this for quite some time obviously because we're a growing school um, and we approached the preschool two years ago to get things started not now you know when there's only eight weeks left but despite that, even though it was two years ago, it's not that straightforward to move a preschool out of a building. There's things like planning permission for a temporary building for the preschool, some finding somewhere on the site to even fit a preschool. And these things take a lot of time and they take, they take a huge amount of time. And often it can take way more time than one would expect because you can't just apply for planning permission and then just it'll happen within a few weeks. It can take a year, it can take longer uh, for, for, for this to actually work. And But basically what I'm saying is what isn't acceptable is giving a school eight weeks to tell a preschool they're no longer welcome in their building and then expect them to toddle off within that time. And then also expect, ah, sure, they'll just, you know, because basically the likelihood would be that preschool will have to close down. Uh, there's going to be a lot of job losses. Um, there's going to be a lot of children who won't have a preschool place. Um, it's a closure of a business, um, which just simply is going to happen. I mean, some people might argue that the school shouldn't have a preschool renting a classroom in their building. But if the room wasn't being used, what else are you going to do with it? You know, you, you can't just have a, a room lying idle doing nothing on the off chance that something's going to happen. But ultimately, at least one year's notice needs to be given to these schools for this purpose of allowing planning for the preschool. So what I would be saying is, do if you're going to give a notice, do it now, give for now, you're not going to have it done by September 2020. Maybe September 2021. Anyway, one of the schools um, uh, in this report suggests, made a suggestion that there was an empty school kind of very close by that could be used to set up a number of special classes. And... This is a solution that actually happened in Dublin 15, a new special school opened. And while it isn't ideal, look, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm under no illusions, we don't need, maybe they don't need a special school. Um, but, you know, you can set up a specific school for children with autism. I mean, there's a school called School Sinead uh, that opened a few years ago. It's a, it's a patron body uh, where um, the classes are tied in with, um, uh, for generally there's classes for children with autism and they're tied into a mainstream class. Um, I think there's two of them in the country. Then you've got Saplings, which is specifically for children with um, autism and complex needs. So these schools do exist uh, with the with the same level of support that you get in a special class. And arrangements could be made for, I mean, look, with COVID, integration is probably not going to happen but I mean I don't know I mean anyway they, the, the thing is it isn't ideal it, at the same time but it and it I mean I guess it fulfilled the government's criteria to get bums on seats but it might actually be a good temporary solution for 2020 to 2021 and then they might compel now they can compel the schools with the extra rooms to give them up next year September 2021 I know it's not ideal look I don't think there's a solution to this to, to, to getting these schools uh, in um, for current schools, uh, I mean there is a, I mean that there is a way to do it, and I mean maybe maybe I should say what that way is to do it. Um, I mean the way to do it is basically say is basically pick those pick the schools that they think that they uh, that they need, and they basically they send in uh, building contractors and everyone else that needs it to basically do it. They need to pump 
a load of money and, and pay people to uh, to do this. It's going to cost a fortune to do it. But that's not that's not the school's fault. That's the, the department's bad planning's fault. So they could do it really. In reality, you could, you could set up, you could change over a room um, properly in in eight weeks. But there's no um, there's no willingness to do that. So I mean, effectively, in reality, um, you're going to have to find a different space temporarily, um, and then compel the schools to open the classes uh, for the following year. Look, at the end of the day, there's lots of schools in South Dublin that are willing to take on special classes, but they just don't have suitable accommodation right now, and it's way too late to foist it upon them now with uh, with no support. You have to give support. So basically, what's the solution? I mean, after all, this podcast is called "If I Were the Minister for Education." And then I'd give the solution that I would give. So ultimately, the first thing I would do, and I know this is no good to anybody, and actually it's not really a solution at all, but it's the first thing I'd do, is I'd apologise. I would apologise to the community of South Dublin and the families of these children. Uh, And I would admit that I had failed them. Absolutely, I had failed them. And I would call on the NCSE to explain themselves for their shortcomings to me as the Minister of Education and identifying accommodation in such a non-timely manner. And ideally, if I was the Minister, I'd probably disband them. Um, But I, I, you know, for the purpose of this fiasco, I'll just simply haul them over the coals and ask them to apologise as well. And I expect them to apologise to the community in South Dublin. Um, That's the first thing I do. It's not a solution, but it's the first thing I do. Next, I would commit to opening those classes for 2021 to 2022. I mean, I can't, it would be unrealistic of me to say I would be able to solve, uh, to, to get them open by September 2020. I don't, I just don't, I, I, I would, I mean, I would ideally, I, I, w- I would love to say that I would be able to do it. But what I would also, but what I would do is, look, I know I can't, but let's say 2021 to 2022, I would make sure that I would assign somebody in my department whose sole job will be making sure that those schools are fully supported in opening these classes. I would make sure the schools were fully supported in opening these classes. I, I, I just need to repeat that because that's my job is to support the schools. It's not to lay the blame at the door. It's not to get angry at them. My job is to support those schools. So whatever their problems are, whatever their worries are, they get supported and they get whatever they need to ensure that it happens. And I would choose schools that clearly have space. I have would choose schools that clearly there is a need in their area. So if there's no special classes in, in Dublin 6 or Dublin 6W um, and, there are, and there are classes, let's say, in Dublin 12 and Dublin 24, because I think that's what the, that's the actual case. Well, you know what? I prioritise the Dublin 6, Dublin 6W uh, schools because they need to have them. So I would make sure that the right places get the right school, get the right special classes. And I would give them every support to turn their spare classrooms into proper special classes. And I'm sure I would make sure that I would uh, I would hire whoever was needed to be done to, to get that done. Now, I would prioritise these schools with, um, I basically would prior, prioritise schools, uh, apart from the locality, any of the schools that are using them, uh, using them for things that they're not entitled to use them for. Things like Ashter, for example, or preschools. I mean, they're not entitled to do it. And, you know, that's why I wouldn't be prioritising schools that use them for learning support or other uh, things that primary schools do do. And I'd be starting the process now, right now, um, because, you know, I'm not waiting till September for this. I need to do it now and I need to compel those schools and I need to say, look, we're picking you, 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 you and you because We've identified there's no special classes in this area. You also are using rooms for the following reasons. Therefore, it's your, 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 the school's been compelled. That's it. And we will do whatever it takes to support you. 
um, and we could go from there and there it will be a person who will be in charge of this and that, and, and, and it will be that one person the whole time. In the meantime, as there appears to be um, a school building in the area that's empty, I would probably have to open this up as a special school uh, in, as such. It, I'd like to set it up as a temporary special school as in it would be only open for a year and maybe I would maybe ask a school I don't know how we would do this, but I would sort of say to a school, maybe in a locality, could we give you an administrative deputy principal and on a temporary basis for a year or an admin, some administrator, maybe an administrator, and the school would just become part of this school for a year. It's a temporary arrangement. Um, now I don't I, I, I would imagine that's illegal so we probably will have to set up a new special school let's say um, there probably is a shortage of special school places anyway um, so I imagine it would be it would be good to have a special school and the children basically could enrol with the promise that if they wanted to they would be moved to a special class the following year and they'd also obviously have a choice of home tuition if they didn't want to go to the special school so I think I mean I don't know if that's good or bad I, I, I'm just saying this is what I do I, 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 I'm as I said, I'm just opening this as a conversation more than anything else. Way back last year in episode 18 of this podcast, I advised every school not to allow an ASD class to set foot in their building without a written commitment from the Department of Education that a specialised full facility would be built within a year of starting those classes. And if I was the Minister for Education, that's what I'd do. I would commit that this would be done properly. There'd be no ifs, no buts, it would have to be done. They would need bathrooms in the vicinity. They would need access to a multi-sensory room and they'd need an OT uh, room as well. They'll need, um, it would probably need its own resource room because you do, like when I say a resource for storage space, because you need a lot of equipment for a specialised class. And you can fit all this on a smaller amount of space than one would think. Um, And it can be done. And remember, all that big long list of things I said at the start when I was joking that the Department of Education would basically do all those things. Well, that somebody else would be the would be that person. They would be between now and September and all that, uh, that September, uh, basically, um, you know, at the moment, if, if schools agree to it now, all of that will fall at the principal's feet. So what I would make sure is my assigned person would manage the whole thing. The principal should not be spending their time opening special classes for children with autism. They have enough to be doing. I know this. I am a principal. I have enough to be doing without opening up anything. Uh, new. I mean, it's really, really especially uh, during this COVID nineteen crisis. Um, it. I. 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 I mean, I. I haven't. I. I don't know. Look, I'm not going to complain about myself uh, at all. Um, but there is no principal in the country that's had a break yet. And and I'm not, I look. I know people are in worse positions than us. So that's why I'm always reluctant to complain. But I certainly don't think I'd be giving them an entire building project to be doing. Uh, on top of trying to reopen schools safely for COVID-19. Put it that way. So basically, that's what I do. It doesn't open schools uh, or classes. Sorry, it doesn't open any extra classes in September. But that's, I believe, is an impossible ask right now. It's not it's not a realistic ask right right now. I mean, it, it could technically be done if uh, you got schools agreement, given that, and that if, let's say, schools agreed to open these uh, classes, um, and then the Department of Education sent a crack team of people in to do it, but I don't think that's going to. I mean, like, I don't. That's not, that's just not going to happen because of procurement and planning permission and all the rest of it. Like, I mean, realistically, it's not going to happen by September. Sometimes one has to admit that you messed up. I need to figure 
a solution out. And the Department of Education are pretty lucky that there is an empty building available which they can use and they have a year now to sort out the mess that they made. And ultimately, this can't happen again. It is summer 2020 and we already know for about a year now that Cork and Limerick, I imagine Galway and other big cities are in exactly the same situation and most likely the NCSE will be compelling some of their schools to open ASD classes sometime in the future. And the lesson here will be that anyone, that the same, that basically, the lesson here will be the same anyone gives to any superhero, basically. That when you are given great power, you need to use it responsibly. And the NCSE have spectacularly failed at this. The only agency that needs compelling now is the NCSE and that is and, and it's to start treating schools with respect. Their greatest success has been turning families against schools while making cuts to services for children with additional needs. That is their superpower, if I, if I can be as harsh as that. And rather than being superheroes, they're actually been acting far too long as supervillains and they are being found out as supervillains right now. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's an opinion of mine. I think they've been a disaster, um, but I, very deliberately as well. Schools in general are the good guys. I'm not saying they're all good guys, but mostly they're good guys. They genuinely aspire to do the right thing by children. We only have to look for proof over the last four months where the vast majority of schools without any guidance whatsoever managed to continue the education of the nation. Even today as I'm recording that, more than half of parents have said, and this is to a, to a, to a newspaper that's been very critical of teachers, um, have more than half said that their children's education did not suffer at all. Um, due to the COVID uh, during the COVID nineteen, that's amazing. I think that is an amazing. I know some people will say, "Oh, well, then fifty percent, half of people said they didn't." I mean, imagine um, your your entire business having to completely change within three hours before you're allowed to reopen. It's not very easy to do that. And I think schools, in the main, I'm not saying all of them did, but in the main, were amazing. They did it quickly. And they did it quietly and they didn't even, they barely got thanked. There was a sentence somewhere in a report, uh, which was actually, oh gosh, I mean, it was a report that was sent at the end of May telling teachers how to teach two months after they started the teaching during COVID-19. And the, in the opening paragraph, they just about got thanked and they didn't, in the first draft of that document, there wasn't a thank by the thanks, by the way. Just, um, uh, anyway, I know that. Anyway, not that they were looking for thanks either. I mean, teachers weren't looking for thanks. Schools don't look for thanks. Schools just do what schools do. And they've been pushed about, particularly when it comes to cuts to children with additional needs. And they've still done their best to accommodate all of these needs, despite having ever diminishing resources. They've taken on the roles, uh, I mean, over the last decade with the, with the recession, they've taken on roles that would originally have been done by the likes of NEPS, by the likes of the CINO, by the likes of TUSLA, by the likes of the EWO, by the likes of counsellors, by the likes of therapists, because none of these services were willing or able to do these jobs they used to do. Um, and some, some, many principals have taken on the job of the inspectors. I mean, the, like we have basically taken on the roles of other agencies. And however, as much as we and schools are superheroes, our powers can only stretch so far. I hope this explains why I don't think the schools in South Dublin are the monsters in this situation. Granted, some of them aren't, aren't uh, some of them, maybe they are a little bit, but the vast majority of these schools are very willing to do the right thing. I have every sympathy 
every sympathy for families whose children are being affected by this situation. It is disgusting that they have been left in this situation for, um, uh, uh, you know, completely needlessly. I um, just my just from my own situation, I opened the very first special classes in my county where I'm living 12 years ago in completely inappropriate conditions. And I learned why it's a very bad idea to trust the Department of Education when it comes to opening these classes. I've seen how they pretend that these classes are supported and how, how it's just simply untrue. I know of several schools that open classes with lots of promises that they'd have proper accommodation within a year and they're still waiting years later. In one of my last podcasts, I offered that, you know, basically that you're, I offered the fact that you're going to reap just what you sow from Lou Reed's uh, Perfect Day. I know it's probably a biblical verse as well, but I, don't, I, I, I like Lou Reed's. Uh, it basically could be the soundtrack of the Department of Education. And this is just another case of you're going to reap just what you sow. And when you're on Twitter, and Facebook book and whatever other social media you're going on. I think the lesson to be learned from this particular situation is where do you direct your anger to the people that deserve it? And rather than blaming um, schools the whole time, we need to know that we need to know why. We need to ask why these schools. And we need to ask them individually. They're not just one conglomerate of places. Every school had a different reason for not being able to open a special class. And the only overarching uh, theme that went through the vast majority of those cases was the fact that they didn't have the accommodation or they didn't have appropriate accommodation or they had no, uh, they, they didn't have, uh, they tried to, um, uh, to talk to the NCSE about, uh, the, um, about opening classes and got no response. So when you are directing your anger, why not direct your anger to the people that deserve it? They're based in Athlone and Trim, not South Dublin. So there we have it. That is our uh, special episode on South Dublin and special classes. Um, there wasn't very much to enjoy this episode, but again, um, like most of these special episodes, there never really is something to enjoy. It's always just shaking of the head of how poor the planning is uh, when it comes to um, education and how little investment there is and how little, uh, I suppose, the government really care about um children um, especially those with additional needs and this is not something that's you know just happened now this has been for well over a decade and you know schools just do what they can to to get on to get on with things despite um the severe cutbacks that have been um you know happened in our system uh while we wait patiently for representative bodies to do something about it anyway uh, i hope you uh, got something out of this podcast i'm, I'm i again i want to reiterate um, you know how terrible I I I feel for the families uh, at the end of the day who are going through this. It's it's all well and good defending the schools and everything else, and and uh, uh, you know the the majority of schools who have not who have acted uh, responsibly, uh, but at the end of the day, there's always the story of a family and a child who are lost um, in the system, and that's just unforgivable. And, you know, I suppose we really need to think about that more than anything else. 
Um, if you've uh, enjoyed this uh, this episode, um, I run um, these episodes every week, every Wednesday morning. Uh, that's just in time for your midweek slump. Uh, it's almost sure to get your blood boiling. And if this episode hasn't, uh, I don't know what will. Uh, this episode can be found on iTunes and Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either Onshaw.net or If I Were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Uh, you you should, if you can, I would love it if you would also leave a review uh, for the podcast so others could find it more easily. Look, um, thanks so much uh, for listening to this podcast. It was a really hard one to make because it's it's such an emotive uh, subject. It shouldn't be an emotive subject. I mean, children with additional needs should just be taken care of. There's no, um, no which ways about it. Uh, but it's interesting how the ire of people can turn in the wrong place as far as I'm concerned. There's only one um, There's only one place where our anger should be um, when it comes to this sort of thing. And um, I've said it enough in this episode. And if it's not clear by now, I, I don't know how much more I can do. Uh, but um, I'll be back anyway next time with, um, there may be, I, I'm recording this just around uh, the mid to end of July. Uh, so hopefully there's going to be news about schools reopening. Uh, so maybe next, the next episode I'll be giving will be about that. Um, but if not, it'll be about something maybe a little bit more uh, mundane. Um, and uh, either way, I look forward to seeing you or hearing from you or hearing you uh, or seeing you on social media. Uh, you can find us on facebook.com uh, slash onshot.net or you can uh, go to onshot.libsyn.com and comment there. I'd be very, very happy to hear from you. All right, that's enough for me. I'll see you again next time. All the best. Bye bye.